Hello, everyone, and welcome to Topics in Faith, part of the In Faith series of podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Didek, and this week, we're taking our first look at fruitfulness and work, sometimes a bad word or at least a negative one. Let's see if we can redeem it starting today. To get us into this topic, I want to take a look at one of the original Ten Commandments, actually, and sort of reframe it in a way that was given to me years and years ago, again, by Dr. Dell Taggett through the Truth Project series of videos. There's a lot of really good stuff in that series. And it's a really cool idea when we start thinking about working, and especially working for the kingdom and being fruitful, that is that the things we do have results. It's a really good, uh, really good place to start. So let's start there. It's first recorded, this commandment, in Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 through 10. If you ever are wondering where the Ten Commandments are, it's in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. So if you take the Ten Commandments and multiply them by two, you find them in Exodus, Exodus 20. If you take the Ten Commandments and divide them by two, you get five, Deuteronomy 5. Just a little side note in case you are trying to remember where those are. It says this in verses 9 through 10. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. And again, an interesting thing, when you start looking at the original language this was written in, the Hebrew word here for shall labor, six days you shall labor, can also mean, in this particular form of the word, can mean to perform acts of worship. Which is a fascinating thing to think about, that the work we do, the six days, is performing an act of worship to God through those six days. And that kind of heads us in the direction we want to think about when we're looking at work and fruitfulness. As I said, Dr. Del Tackett in The Truth Project suggested that we could reform this commandment as six days you get to work, something that we should be excited about. And we can kind of see this when we look at Mark chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus is responding to the Pharisees. Verse 27, he says, Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That is, God did not create us in order to observe a Sabbath, but rather God created a Sabbath for us, for our benefit. So could it be that we should be so excited to work that we needed to be commanded to take a day off? So that God created us in such a way and with such purpose that when we're doing it, we should be so excited to work, so excited to do the, the, the thing he has called us to do, that we have to had to have been commanded to take a day off. God knew, like, you will be overwhelmed if you try to do these things seven days a week, 365 days a year for all of your life. So I'm requiring you to take a day off and just spend it worshiping me, but taking the time off, taking rest away from the work you're doing. So on the one hand, it also doesn't become about works. We talk about that a lot. Um, Works-based faith, where you think you have to be doing things in order to be saved. We don't want to, to drift into that idea that, well, since I'm called to do this thing, if I do it more and more and more and more, that's like better and better and better. And it reminds us like, no, the, the point ultimately is to remember God and worship him. But then also just the act of doing constantly having this thing constantly on our minds can wear us down so much physically part of our physical bodies that God has created that he knows it's not good for us. And so he says, no, on the seventh day, take a rest. Kind of interesting way to look at it. And it probably not easy necessarily, depending on the work you do to think of it that way. Many jobs I've had, probably many jobs you have had 
have been like, I would take as many days off from this job as possible, <laughs> which we're going to get into that. So one of the things I want to do is look at this idea of vocation. We've talked about this in a previous episode, I believe, but to kind of remind us sort of how this, this thought process might work is that, again, vocation being a different way to look at work. And one of the best definitions of vocation I have heard is that your vocation is where your greatest passion meets the world's greatest need. And I love that because, and I've said this in the in previous, that those two things are both personal. Your greatest passion is is very obviously particular to you. Others might share your passion, but you know, in general, it's like a passion is not something that can be put upon you. You have to be passionate about the thing. But even what you perceive as the world's greatest need is particular to you. It depends on the heart God has given you. Or it can depend on things you've seen or things you've experienced where you feel particularly pulled towards addressing a particular wrong in the world as you see it. So when you combine those two things, it becomes your vocation then becomes a highly personal thing. It also has nothing to do with money, usually. Now, there are people that are very good at making money, that know how to turn a dollar, and we're not going to necessarily go all the way down that road in this episode. You know, I don't think entrepreneurialism is not something God can gift you with. And so if that's kind of what you're called to do, then do it and do it as well as you can. And if, you know, it makes a bunch of money, then ideally you have money to bless other people with or the fact that you're just like providing employment for people. And ideally, if you're a believer, you're providing a safe and happy work environment for people where they are well paid. But we're not going to go kind of too far down that road discussing, you know, being rich and all those sorts of things. There's there's a lot of pitfalls. It's another one of these things where we don't really have time in this topic to address that specifically. But in general, your greatest passion and the world's greatest need does not automatically have to do with money. Money can fix a lot of things. It can pay for a lot of things in the world. But that's not what we're going to deal with today. A common viewpoint I've seen and I want to say that there is a little bit of a generational shift here because this, this does seem to be changing in more modern times. But this idea that you do a job for three kind of connected reasons. The first reason is you need to make money. That's kind of a given. I love this idea of like love is enough. It's like, well, when your mortgage company needs the payment for your house, you can't go to them and say, yeah, but my wife and I really love each other or my husband and I really love each other. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Your debt's paid. It's like, love is great. <laughs> you can navigate through a lot of storms as long as you cling to one another and cling to God. But ultimately, you will need a dollar by the end of the day. So you need to make money. That's, that's fine. The second thing is that a company is hiring. We see a lot of now hiring signs when you're driving down the road these days. It seems like everyone, everyone's hiring and people will even say, well, everyone's hiring. So just go get the job. And so that leads us to the third reason is that you're capable of doing the work. So for some, and this is the idea I've seen that like, as long as those three things are in place, it's like, you need money, this place is hiring and you can do it. Then you go get the job. And that's like, that's it. There's no other reason. There's no reason to not apply for the job. No reason to turn down the offer. If you get it, as long as it's going to pay you money they're willing to hire you and you can do the work physically or mentally, you know, whatever it is. And so there's this attitude that like, those are the only three criteria needed to decide whether to take a particular job or not. Others might work because the work-life balance and benefits are good. It's like the, the job itself isn't necessarily invigorating. 
and it's not something they're like super passionate about, but the benefits are great. They don't have to work, you know, 80 hours a week doing it. Maybe they're working with good people. So that's all there, but it's still not, this is the work that I love doing no matter what. But when we read scripture, one of the things we're told is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, these things being food and clothing, the two necessities that Jesus talks about that the pagans spend their life chasing after, but we're supposed to be different as followers of Christ. That seeing first his kingdom, his righteousness might look more like the question, and this is what is starting to kind of come around a little bit more, is what would you do if you had a million dollars? And we'll say maybe, you know, maybe what would you do if you had $2 million now to account for inflation? But it's basically this question, what would you do if you didn't have to worry about being paid? If you took away the you need to make money factor, because really the other two, the company is hiring and you're capable of doing the work. The only reason those come into play is because you need to make money first and foremost, right? And so if you didn't, what would you do if you didn't have to worry about being paid? And if you say, well, I would do nothing. I just lay around the house all day. Is it because a, you you're so burned out from work, from the day to day responsibility of having to go to work and go to this job that you might not be passionate about. Is that why you do nothing? Cause you haven't gotten to do nothing in so long that like that's the only thing you can think of or is it because you haven't yet figured out what your passion is either your god-given passion ideally or whatever it is like that you haven't figured that out yet it's important to dig a little deeper than just saying well if i didn't have to work for money i would do nothing i'd sit around and play video games well there are ways to make money playing video games actually now would you honestly forever do nothing or do you think at some point you'd start kind of figuring out your passion. That's what I want you to be able to do. Are there things that you do that you only do for the sake of unwinding? Okay, maybe you have these hobbies or these things that it's like, I do this only because it helps me relax after a stressful work day. And ultimately, if you, you, know, if you start to pray about these things and think about what your vocation might be, what the work you are called to, it might not be different than the job you're doing now. Maybe it's just a different attitude you need to have toward the job. Or, you know, if you are there primarily for the, your coworkers and it doesn't really matter to you, you know, if your passion is the people you work with, that's okay too. Okay. This isn't saying if you're not liking your job, quit. I'm just asking questions, raising questions for you to think about in order. Again, our desire here is to look at if you're struggling with the idea that six days I get to work. And I have to remember to take the seventh day off because otherwise I wouldn't quit working. If that doesn't ring true for you, why is that? What's going on? Dig deeper into that. There are a few legitimate reasons to hate a job <laughs> or to be unsatisfied with a job or that it sucks all the life out of you so that all you want to do is sit at home and do nothing. And that's all you can think about is like, if I didn't have to work at this job, I would sit at home and do nothing. It could be you have a terrible boss. You know, they, they exist. There's people with power trips. There's people who <laughs> kind of, it fascinated me, this idea I'd heard again years and years ago about that companies tend to promote to the, I forget if it's the lowest level of incompetence. This basically, as long as you do well in your position, they'll promote you. And if you continue to do well in that position, they'll promote you again. But as soon as you stop doing well, they just leave you there. So then you have all these people that are in jobs that they're not doing really well. They're doing just well enough to not get fired or demoted because no one wants to, you know, it's, it's very hard to demote people these days, especially in professional uh, companies. 
So you're like, you're just barely incompetent in what you're doing. (laughs) And so, you know, and working for that person is awful. It's not good because maybe, maybe you could eventually work up higher than that. You could do the job better, but they're already filling the position, you know? And so you can be kind of stuck under this, this terrible boss, whether it's, you know, because they're not a good person or just companies in America, at least are kind of set up in this way that oftentimes, especially in the manager level positions, they, they promote people to that position who are just barely good enough at what they do to not get fired. And that's not a great place to be. But if you're working for God, what kind of boss do you think he would be? And think about some of the things we've discussed in the last couple episodes about the nature of God. It could be that you have difficult coworkers. Now, unfortunately, you're probably going to find this everywhere, even when laboring for Christ. And you can read some of Paul's more frustrated letters, like 2 Corinthians. He feels the need to boast to the Corinthians because other people have come in to the church after he left and started talking about how awesome they are. And the Corinthians started turning away from what Paul had taught them or turning against Paul himself because, oh, well, these people say all these great things about themselves. And so he's got to write this letter to them like, okay, I just didn't go on and on about all the things I've been through in my laboring for Christ. And so we have a couple instances where frustration is showing through Paul's letters. So like I said, unfortunately, difficult coworkers might be anywhere you go unless you know, you're fortunate enough or (laughs) whatever the case is that where God has called you is a little bit more isolated of a position than perhaps, but people are people everywhere you go and you are you everywhere you go. The third reason that you might be uncomfortable with the job is that it doesn't pay well. As much as you're cutting back on your budget, it literally does not meet your daily needs or it just barely does so. And so you kind of live in this constant state of like, well, if one thing goes horribly wrong, we're going to be stuck. But Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Which is pretty, that's, that's a lot of riches. Now again, that's not just talking about financial, but he says he'll meet all your needs. And he, this is in the context of the Church of Philippi had sent a bunch of money to Paul. They had gathered up collections and sent them on, I think for Paul to take them to Jerusalem or something like that. In response to their material generosity, he says, And I know that my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He, he was talking about material things, at least in part there. So again, if you work for God, maybe that doesn't pay well, kind of goes away. You have to see. The fourth reason is it is unfulfilling. Either the work you do day in and day out doesn't really seem to matter. It doesn't seem like you're doing anything that important. It might not really change anything materially for you. You feel like things just go on the way they are, regardless of the input that you bring. Or you might work day and night for some sort of change in policy or procedure or whatever it is. And then one thing changes and everything goes back to the way it was. So all this, this effort that you put in for, you know, potentially days, weeks, months, or years is suddenly reset back to zero. And it feels like you just wasted the past, however much of your life working on something that shows no fruit, that no one will know things were different because you were there. That can be a very, very hard thing. But we know that laboring for the kingdom will be fruitful. And this comes from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It might not seem to have any difference here on earth. Okay? We're going to do this episode too, because it's a really 
difficult one. <laughs> On the one hand, it's, it's very powerful, though, to look back at the pillars of faith in Hebrews that none of them saw the outcome of what they hoped for. Their hope went unrealized in this world. Abraham, for all his faith, had Isaac, and that was it. And God had promised him that his descendants would be like the stars in the sky or the grains of sand on the beach. And on through, you know, Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. Everyone that they talked about was like, they didn't get to see it here on earth, but they received their reward in heaven. And so it can be one of those difficult things. I'm not saying this should be easy. It's funny, I've seen recently, because on Instagram, you know, when you watch one video, then all of a sudden they they pop up millions of that kind of video because they think you like watching it, whether you actually do or not. And seeing a lot of people do acts of generosity or acts of kindness that they set up the camera well beforehand. They made sure to capture it. And part of it is like, yeah, it's good to encourage doing these sorts of things. But let's also remember that Jesus said, you know, don't be like the Pharisees who do all these things in order to be seen by men because they have received their reward. So you can receive your reward here on earth by proclaiming the things that you're doing for the kingdom, the effects you're having, and how great and good it is, and people will applaud you and congratulate you, and that is it. According to that scripture, you have received your reward by receiving the accolades of men and women. Or, what Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And your father, God, who sees in secret, will reward you openly in heaven. He may reward you here. I don't know if it specifies, but the point being, it may not. You might work all your life here on earth and not see the hope of what it is that you work for, but you will. Unlike some of the stuff here on earth, especially when we look at politics and you see these politicians fighting for how long to get a policy change and then the next president comes in and just undoes all that work. Or maybe a couple of presidents down the line and just writes a bill, signs it, does an executive order, and nullifies all the work that you did, all the debating on the floor, all this stuff. It comes and goes. The work you do here on earth for life here on earth can come and go. Or you work for God who is sovereign, who will always be the ruler, who is always on the throne, and he will reward you based on what you do. So you can be assured of fruitfulness if you work for God, work for his kingdom, find what it is that God has made you passionate about and what the greatest need in the world is, according to you. What is it you see and what change do you want to see happen? And go for it. That, I think, is it for today. Um, Next week will be another, it's going to be a little light potentially on scripture, but we're going to be talking about the idea of hard work. What is hard work? And this is actually mostly inspired by a podcast episode by Sarah Werner. She does the Right Now podcast, spelled W-R-I-T-E, Now podcast. She'd done this episode a long time ago, and I had a lot of thoughts as she was talking about her kind of take on work and hard work, and especially, you know, is writing hard work. And so we're going to be sharing a couple thoughts with you on there, because again, it's this idea of fruitfulness in the kingdom and what is work? Is work supposed to be a drudgery or should it be a joy? So we're going to talk about that next week. Until then, keep the faith and keep it fresh.